When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ruler Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, joining you all the way from Colorado here in the United States. And via the magic fairy dust of the internet, I am joined by Peter Stewart in uh, London. Peter, how's it going? Not bad, Dan. Uh, I'm enjoying the magic fairy dust interaction as always. And (laughs) nice to see you. And it's getting... uh, All I talk about is weather when we meet, so I'm being really boring. But it's getting into winter here, so it is grim. So I'm more jealous than usual of your Colorado splendor. Oh, yes. The the splendor was on full display this past weekend, and I, I... was fortunate enough to enjoy it, but it is getting chilly now. It's it's uh, it's getting to be, and I hate to say this, this makes my heart stop in my chest, but it is trainer season. It is time to set up the trainer and start pedaling in the dark. Oh, it hurts. But, you know, let's let's look backward a little bit because some wonderful things just happened. And I think, you know, COVID maybe did this one favor for us and it repositioned uh, Paris-Roubaix in October this year. And, and it was a wonderful time to have Paris-Roubaix in October. It was just perfect. It, it was a wet Roubaix for the first time in nearly two decades, uh, which, which made it such an interesting and fun race, which it's always a fun race, but this was just this once-in-a-generation thing for us. I, I hadn't seen a, a, a wet Roubaix in a long, long time. So it was really cool. And, uh, and you were there. Uh, I was watching on on TV, and you were actually there. I am not jealous at all. It doesn't hurt me at all that I wasn't there. <laughs> um, but it, it was it was uh, it was notable for a lot of reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, this was the very first historic uh, Paris Roubaix Femme, which uh, Lizzie Dynan uh, won. It was incredible. It was uh, exciting, and that was a big story. But it was notable for other reasons too, um, besides the rain and the women's race. Uh, Peter, you were there on the ground. Tell me a little bit about some of the notable tech that you saw there, because there was some really interesting things happening this year that we haven't seen before. So tell me about your experience there. Tell me what was cool uh, and and dazzle me with the wonder that is Paris-Roubaix and your experience there. Yeah, I have to admit, it was it was actually just awesome to be there. Like, unbelievable. I mean, I, I, shamefully, and other journalists, I mentioned this out loud in the pits and everyone stared at me like I just announced that I was, you know, like on remand for murder. Uh, my first time I've been to Paris Bay, and so it was uh, in person. And um, yeah, it was almost like religious, you know, it was just seeing like the first women's race, I think was just seismic. And then the men's race, you know, with this heavy rain, this mud splatter and like just the, the incredible drama of like, you know, Van der Poel and Moscon and stuff. It was, it was just 
otherworldly. But you're right that, you know, so I think a lot of people in back when they're on their computer screens, they're seeing a lot of this coverage from the big, you know, Eurosports and stuff, and they might see these occasional bits of content sleep through of what bikes are being ridden at Parry Bay. And that's because of people like me sleuthing around trying to work out which hotels teams are staying at, turning up <laughs> as if I've been invited and being like, hey, they said I could come take photos of this bike. <laughs> and, right, right. And, yeah, it's a very odd sort of thing that we do that. And we, kind of just, we just kind of like perv around looking at people's tech. And um, <laughs> teams are very patient of us doing this, actually. It's very nice of them because, you know, I wouldn't let some random person grab my bike and take photos of it. But they're just like, yeah, sure, take it over there next to that wall and take some pictures. And um, yeah, in, in the post-COVID world, this is the first time I'd really been able to get my teeth into that. And it was a bit of a, it was really quite a, yeah, a shock to the system because what I was seeing was like leap years ahead of what we'd seen before at Paris-Roubaix. And, you know, I think Roubaix is always like very much like a testing bed for new gear. And that's you know always been part of the appeal for bike brands. They're, they're looking at Roubaix like a super endurance comfort oriented event that brings the needs of the pros for comfort towards the needs of us for day-to-day riding because ultimately you know slam stems and super aggressive aero road bikes often don't suit your average rider so we saw you know that's where we saw the advent of the Trek de Mane and the obviously the Specialized Roubaix and this year the focus wasn't so much on new bikes but it was on new kind of tech surrounding the bikes and so first and foremost I think the most interesting standalone bike I saw when I was doing my sleuthing was um, Lizzie Dagnan's race bike the Trek de Mane that she won the race on, which was incredible because I'd had a really close look at it the day before, not really expecting Dayden to do such an incredible job. And yeah, it just kind of blew me away. So firstly, you know, these Demanes, Trek, to be fair to them, they have this amazing paint scheme, that kind of, you know, angry kind of uh, grey glitter look, which means they shine in all sorts of colours and they look absolutely splendid. Um, but yeah, on it, she had a one by group set, which first, you know, I looked at this a hundred times and I was like, can that be a one by group set, Parry Bay? And you know, <laughs> yeah, it's red yeah. to be flat race, but it has some pretty considerable little lumps in it. So I was yeah, sort of, yeah. wow. And I don't think I'd ever seen a major race one at one by. I think a few years ago, I think it was possibly Lauren Tendam or someone like that rode the world champs in a one by, but, you know, got dropped quite early or something like that. Um, it was in the Harrogate world champs. So seeing a one by group set, I was pretty blown away by. But on top of that, she was riding tubeless tyres, Pirelli tubeless tyres. And I thought, wow, that's P0 tyres. I thought, wow, that's incredible, tubeless, you know, on a race of this magnitude. And my initial thought was like, oh, maybe Trek aren't really targeting this race. And they're just saying, ladies, we're not going to win. Why don't we just do a test bed, try some new gear, get out of there for marketing purposes. But to have that kind of experimental tech on the ground and then subsequently win the race was just incredible, I thought. Like, you know, tubeless technology, won by all sorts of new innovations. And I thought it was incredibly cool to see her cross the line first on what was, you know, a bike that had multiple new innovations. So that was a standout, like, kind of feature for me. I saw that and I was like, wow, incredible. 30C tyres as well, you know, that's another important point. 30 was really the standard at Roubaix. When a few years ago we see 25, 28, 30 was really the absolute par for the course. We saw very little deviation to thinner tyres and sometimes I spied the occasional 32 as well. Now um, I think that whole thing about tubeless got me looking at other bikes and to my absolute astonishment I'd say the majority of the bikes I took a close look at were running tubeless tyres which was really not what I would have expected at Roubaix because you know for those that aren't familiar with the intricate tech of Roubaix you've had this history of Roubaix um, tyres basically it's its own sub niche of bike tech and and Dan will know about this the FMB Dugast, A Dugast and these kind of silk tan wall tyres 
that are stitched together by hand by old women in the north of France. And I've been to this workshop and it is something to behold. And they make, you know, six, seven hundred tires for like a hundred euros each year. And they're basically bankrolled by Roubaix. But sadly, I didn't see a single FMB tire. No, and I saw pretty much no tubulars. And what was ubiquitous was tubular tires at the race. And, you know, for a pro peloton that was skeptical about clinches until, you know, only a few years ago, do you really see the encroachment of clincher tires in the pack? Suddenly, you're seeing, you know, like widespread tubeless clincher tires, which for most normal recreational riders is risky step too far you know that's something that people aren't willing to engage in now it had its limitations you know obviously Moscon had his flat on tubeless tires because uh you know Pinarello um, dogmas which uh dogma f discs which sky were running were running tubeless tires as well actually the new continental 5000 tl str tires um gp 5000s and um yeah he got a flat on that but nonetheless you know a lot of who knows how many flats were sealed as a result of people riding tubeless because you have that wonderful sealant, self-healing quality. But anyway, we're going to get onto tubeless a bit later on in more detail, I'm sure. So the other thing is as well, you know, going along the um, Roubaix kind of pits was quite cool little hacks. Like a lot of people had rubber bands attached to their um, DI2 cables to stop them from rattling loose, which is obviously a big consideration because if that little tiny DI2 cable rattles out, you've got no gears and that's going to end your race. Um, And of course, like completely across the board, not a single rim brake that I see. And I don't know if there was anyone riding a rim brake, but if there was, I did not make sight of them. And I'm pretty sure disc brakes had a clean sweep at Roubaix this year, which I'd say probably is a first because I think the, some some teams have been resiliently clinging to rim brakes until the last few seasons. And now I think we saw a complete commitment to disc. I was going to say that's interesting because uh, actually, I mean, Team Sky was really the, or excuse me, uh, Ineos, uh, was the last real team-wide holdout uh, for for disc brakes, and now shortly before Roubaix, they announced you know they were going disc. So that's that's actually notable. And I'm looking back just as a point of reference. The last Roubaix I was at in person was was 2016 when Matt, Matt Heyman won, and I'm looking at his bike right now and on online here, and, and I remember this bike and rim brakes, externally routed cables. Uh, that bike was super super stiff. I remember that Scott Foyle being just super stiff, harsh. There were no concessions whatsoever to comfort. Um, and the tires were, of course, tubulars at the time across the board. Um, so what we're talking about is a pretty monumental shift in gear in just five years' time. And I think, uh, let's see, tub- tubeless tires, I think the first time we saw those at the Tour de France was just two years ago. Or maybe it might have been three. But uh, And even then it was sort of an experimental, like, oh, my gosh, can this work? Um, and one other thing to note, just on the tubeless tire front, because I, I get a lot of flack online from people, because I'm a tubeless, I like tubeless. I ride road tubeless all the time. I've been riding it for years. Uh, I've had very few problems with it. Um, and and people are always quick to say, well, oh, you, you I get flats with, with road tubeless, and, and it's messy, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, of course. Any tire is going to get a flat. Tubular tires got flat. But the thing with with tubeless is that uh, two things. One, you'll probably get fewer flats because the sealant is actually plugging up a lot of those small holes that would otherwise cause you to flat. So on a clincher or even on a tubular, um, you know, you're you're experiencing fewer flats, or at least you're aware of fewer flats because you may get that puncture and not even know it because the sealant seals it right back up. Um, so to me, that's that's worth noting because I think. Uh, there's a misconception about tubeless tires being these unreliable, 
uh, I'm always going to get flats uh, sort of thing, uh, and it's going to be this mess on the side of the road. I've had to change on the side of the road. I've had to actually put in a tube to a tubeless tire one time in the years, the years that I've been riding it. Um, so just just a point of reference there. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about that more in a moment. But uh, what about things like um, drivetrains? I mean, 2015 when I was there, excuse me, 2016 when I was there, most stuff was still mechanical, even though, you know, wireless existed at that point. DI2 existed at that point. So DI2 at that point had a firm hold on the on the Peloton. So I think a lot of people were riding that, but a lot of it was still mechanical. What did you see this year that was different? Yeah, so I think we saw, again, obviously, like a lot more wireless set up. So Lizzie Dagan's bike obviously had SRAM Axis uh, red and also had satellite shifters on the top so she could shift while the tops on the cobbles and stuff like that. That was pretty common, actually, on the SRAM equipped bikes. Um, I didn't see much of the new group sets, uh, the newest Shimano generation, which uh, was interesting. And in fact, I even saw a DI2 9000 generation uh, group set on a few different a few different uh, spare bikes, actually. And I thought that was interesting because uh, my guess is that, you know, when it comes to endurance bikes, that isn't something they're going to have a lot of of need for, like, you know, the kind of Roubaix style. And they probably just didn't have enough supply to update stocks up to the new uh, Durace or you know, even, even the last generation Durace. That's like two generations ago. It's the one with the silver exterior. So the um, so that was actually pretty interesting. And I think um, it was spare bikes. It's probably not that much airtime, but it was intriguing. And... Um, you know, that lack of supply, you know, it's interesting that um, Eliza uh, Balsamo actually um, won the world champs on an Altegra and, and not even a new Altegra, the, old, the last year's generation Altegra bike. So it uh, shows you how, how little supply they've got, even the pro ranks at the moment, that big issue. But um, yeah, interesting, the other thing, so alongside one by, I saw a lot of like, you know, actually archaic, super tight chainstay setups. Um, I think I saw 55, 40, 43, I saw uh, definitely a lot of 53, uh, 41s and these kind of group sets that we obviously call 53, 39 a, a double, but we forget that, that that was actually the original compact because it used to be 54, 43, wasn't it? Is that right? Is that the original double? You might know better than me. 40, 42, I think, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So it was like actually yeah, a bit of a heart back to those older generation um, uh, gear ratios where you had much bigger front, front chain rings and uh, less kind of high-end uh, caring um so that was intriguing and yeah beyond that yeah i was yet to see any of the newest generation durace but yeah it was definitely as we've seen predominantly in the last few years campagnolo is getting a little bit rarer in the pro ranks as well so um pretty much most of what i saw was shimano and tram and another interesting thing that actually i take note of um you know, with that front-end cockpit set up with these satellite shifters and stuff, was one thing that I think seems to be dying out is the double double wrapping of bar tape. I did not see much of that at all. Predominantly, it was a single roll of bar tape with a few kind of gel inserts or a few sections where they've been double wrapping. But And I spoke to the mechanics and they said that, you know, the one-piece bar, one bar stems were offering enough compliance and the bigger tyres that the riders didn't have a need for these double-wrapped as I say, given Lizzie Dynan's uh, famous photo there of her bloody handlebars, maybe, maybe we should bring it back. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, I did forget that. So yeah, Lizzie, Lizzie, you're right. Did actually she clung onto her bars and actually had bleeding hands, which was a bit of a grim sight. And that was a viral hit. Actually, those bloodied hands after the race. Another tech thing, though, it isn't specifically tech. And um, 
I was the only person that got a photo of Van der Poel's socks at the start of the race. And that subsequently is cropped up on other websites at Cycling Tips as being unknown photographer. But right here is the person that documented <laughs> the white socks of Van der Poel that led to this great mystery yeah. of how Van der Poel's socks stayed white. Uh, his, his shoes stayed white, where in fact, as has subsequently been discovered from many an uh, inquiry, they were actually air over shoes. But um, yeah, that was a curious thing, like Van der Poel's like, kind of bright white air over shoes, which, uh, yeah, interesting addition. And, um, you know, obviously didn't quite do enough for him to win the race, but it was uh, it was brave look, but also interesting in terms of technology of a long kind of air over shoe and whether that's going to make a difference in a course like Roubaix. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a you know, bounty of stuff and all sorts of arguments raging all over the internet about all sorts of things that are at Roubaix. And, um, yeah, apologies if you've thrown me some abuse. It's been a busy time and I haven't had time to block you, but I will get around to it. Because <laughs> 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 there were all sorts of people having these arguments on my thread about like, random tech stuff. And I was like, I don't understand. I don't have time. <laughs> like, but, sorry. Right, right, sorry for right. whatever I took a photo of and wrote an article about. It's but, passion. Yeah, exactly. It's passion. Passion, Peter. Yeah, precisely. Well, all right, we're going to take a quick break here, but uh, when we get back, Peter, I want to talk specifically about tubeless uh, tires, wh- what you saw that was different, uh, why we're seeing it now, and, um, and and sort of the advantages, disadvantages of, of tubeless for a race like Roubaix, especially when it's wet. Uh, but let's first take a quick break. We will be right back with the Ruler Tech Podcast. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinnow, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. Thanks, Ola. I'm Ian Parkinson from the Ruler Conversations podcast, and I'm here to tell you that subscribers get 10% off tickets to the best cycling show in the world, Ruler Live, which returns to London from November the 4th to the 6th with a great selection of top brands, bikes and guests, including Anna van der Bregen, Geraint Thomas, Raman Bardet, Marcel Kittel, Jonas Vingegaard, Fabian Cancellara, Imogen Cotter, Steve Cummings, Ned Bolting, Ian Boswell and many more. Search Ruler Live online for tickets. So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in Lacquer. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on two wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis and I believe that Two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think Lacquer's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. All right, we are back with the Ruler Tech Podcast. I am Dan Cavallari, and I am here with Peter Stewart. And we're talking uh, Paris-Roubaix. Peter got to experience his very first 
Paris-Roubaix in person. Uh, my last one was 2016, excuse me, and and boy, has tech changed since then. The most notable thing and, and is uh, the absolute dominance of tubeless tires at the race, and it seemed to happen kind of all at once. Uh, you know, we've seen it sort of trickle out in, in pro races over the last couple of years, the Tour de France. Uh, we probably we saw some at Flanders. We saw some, you know, over the course of, of the last two years sort of sneak into the peloton. Uh, but this was dominant. This was uh, um, the race was dominated by tubeless tires. Peter, why do you think that happened this year? What, what was it about this race uh, that teams basically said, yes, we're ready to to give this a go? Yeah, well, you know, you know, what was interesting was that Lizzie in her post uh, race press conference made reference to her tire pressure actually and she said she was riding 2.3 bar which is 33 psi and actually uh, one journalist said to her was she sure and was it not 3.2 bar which i thought was kind of i'm not sure if he'd have asked you know, van der Poel whether he knew his bars but anyway so she she asserted quite certainly yes i did know exactly that it was 2.3 bar 33 psi so wow that's super yeah, low yeah it is very low yeah and uh, yeah like yeah, maybe yeah maybe it was legitimate too because it was very low but nonetheless you know i, I trust that damien knows what she's riding and um yeah, right <laughs> and yeah so um you know so that was interesting and with that wet with the possibility of wet riding and uh, the cobbles being an unknown for the women specifically, I think maybe that low pressure and wider tire profile. And the other interesting thing about her bike was actually um, the Bontrager Aeolus wheels. Um, they were actually they were actually the jet the gravel uh, type, so they had a much wider rim bed. So she was probably riding a pretty wide contact batch. Now, um, now yeah, a lot of that wouldn't necessarily uh, you know discriminate against tubeless, but a tubeless, sorry. But that tubeless uh, kind of uh, profile is, you know, proven in all these tests to be quicker, more efficient, and run at low pressure. The rolling resistance is really low, and on top of that, that puncture resistance is definitely a huge appeal. And again, you can have, you know, sealant in a tubular tire, what have you, but um, not to the same efficacy as tubeless when it can just self seal most of the time. I want to pause, jump in right there, just because for a lot of you listeners uh, who perhaps have never ridden the Roubaix cobbles. Uh, they are brutal. It's it's like mountain biking. It's just, they're they're sharp. There's big gaps in between. You are guaranteed to hit your tire in such a way that those sharp ends of the cobbles are going to uh, hit your tire the wrong way and could cause a puncture. I mean that's why there are so many punctures at Roubaix historically. Um, so running a tire pressure that low uh, on any other type of tire would would lead to a puncture with a tubeless tire you do have sealant in there so if you get very small punctures from those it it can seal so in that sense you're actually you may get a puncture as as you would on any other tire but it seals so you can keep going uh you may not even notice that you got it so the Roubaix cobbles are special because you know if you've ridden Roubaix cobbles and the Flanders cobbles the Flanders cobbles are a dream compared to the Roubaix cobbles. Uh, the Roubaix cobbles want to hurt you. They want to break you. They want to hurt your equipment. Um, so, you know, the tubeless does offer that advantage, and I think that's important to note. So even that, though Lizzie was running that incredibly low tire pressure and probably was bottoming out that tire against the rim, tubeless does offer that sort of uh, advantage in that sense that you could, you, you could get a flat and not even know it. You could get a puncture and not even know it. So anyway, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt yeah, you there, Peter, fun. but uh, that's just an important clarification because the Roubaix cobbles are just their own thing. <laughs> no, definitely. And um, yeah, and obviously, you know, when you, when you get rid of the inner tube, sorry, I don't know if you mentioned that, but that, obviously that snake bite risk is a lot less as well. So you're not going to get that pinch that you're going to get commonly on clincher. 
Yeah, no, so definitely I think, it's just, I mean, certainly I think there was probably pressure from brands to experiment with that kind of technology. And I think I did overhear uh, after Dalian's win, uh, you know, one of the team guys ran up and said, we did it, we won. And, said, and we did it on tubeless. And that was like, a, that was a probably like the, the brand liaison officer or what have you, you know, obviously these teams, they have specialists that work with the brands. I mean, Trek's a unique one because it's actually owned by the bike company. So they're going to be the keener the most to actually, you know, showcase their new products. But I think there was definitely brands trying to say, have a go with tubeless because we're, we're trying to sell this technology and what, what better showcase than Paris-Roubaix. Um, so I think probably a mixture, but, you know, these Paris-Roubaix is one of the most important races of the year. So there's no doubt in my mind that pros would only ride tubeless tyres if they genuinely thought there was at the very least no disadvantage and most likely they wanted to see an advantage. Mm -hmm. And that could have been proven this this year. I mean, I, my guess is given Dynan's win and and the just sheer amount of riders, even in both Pelotons, the women's and the men's, that were riding tubeless, I think this is probably going to be that sea change. I think this is going, we're going to see it not just at Roubaix, not just at Flanders, but across the board in the World Tour. We're going to see, you know, uh, first of all, a clarification. Because teams at the World Tour level can bring as much equipment as they want, they, they have access to all the best equipment, we won't see it exclusively. I think we'll still see teams swap between tubeless, tubular, and even clincher. Well, who knows? You know, like uh, having those those options available to them, that's 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 the advantage of riding as a pro, right? But, uh, you know, I do think we're going to see tubeless become more common uh, in, in all types of races, not just the cobbled classics. Um, and I think we're also going to see tubeless sort of take over the consumer market as well. And we're already seeing that. I mean, so that, that always brings up the question, I mean, are tubulars dead? Well, certainly at the consumer level, tubulars are pretty much dead. Do you think tubulars are dead at the pro level or are we going to keep seeing them for the next several years? I can't see the reason aside from people's familiarity with it. And then I think once you get the new generation of riders that have started using clincher tires, tubeless clincher tires, I can't see they're going to have any appetite for riding tubular. And then there's a thing that, you know, a lot of the pros, they used to have training wheels that were clinchered and they raced with tubulars. But again, if they're familiarity, if you've got one piece of equipment you're using across the board because you can repair your own inner tube, um, I think, and if the speed is there, you know, Anna Philippe's riding tubeless at world champs and stuff and it's so you know it is proven time and again that it is it is fast and it is it is reliable and yeah i think i think we'll just see because that the expense of tubular tires the expense of brands making tubular specific rims because you know a lot of these rims are no longer even commercially available like people at bond trade don't sell uh, tubular based rims to the public pretty much maybe you can through some uci rule buy it directly from them but they don't make it so it gets very expensive to have these limited runs of tubular type rims and at the end of the day if there's no advantage i can't see that the brands will continue paying for it and i don't think there'll be any appetite from the pros to continue using it. now the one exception is maybe that you've got a blowout risk which is the thing that people always go back to that you can ride a tubular tire flat for some time you can keep rolling on it um and yeah i don't know i i've, I've not you know, being not a pro, I don't ride a flat tubeless tire for ten kilometers just to try and wait for the team car. You know, it's not 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 something I've experimented doing. Like I think you probably do have some risk of the tire coming off, but then again, with probably with a tighter, very nerdy term, with a tighter ETRTO <laughs> tolerance that you'll see uh, on a tubeless tire, you've probably got less chance of the two of the of the tire rolling off either. So it probably will stay on the rim. 
that's a that's a huge point because uh you know i i tested i've tested a lot of these and i've spoken with a lot of wheel manufacturers a lot of tire manufacturers and what's happening now it, it, there's two 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 key things happening one is the the etrto uh, tolerances are becoming tighter they're becoming more reliable um, which, you know, the converse is that it's harder to get the tire on and off the, the, the rim, but you know, even, even that's becoming easier because I think tire manufacturers and rim manufacturers are starting to figure out ways to get around that, but those tolerances have gotten finer. And so the tire has less of a chance of blowing off, but also what's you, what you'll see happening kind of across the board is that brands are tending to bring, uh, the whole package in house. So for example, you know, at Giant, they have their brand Kadex, uh, and Kadex makes tires that work specifically with their rims. Not to say you can't put those tires on other rims or other tires on that rim, but they're designing these to work together. So they have more control over those tolerances, uh, and they have more control over ensuring that the, you know, the the, the seating between the tire and, and rim is going to be reliable enough to do exactly what you just said, roll on it when you're flat probably don't want to roll on it for 10 kilometers. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that anyway. Um, and I think most pros at this point probably wouldn't either, unless the situation was really desperate. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is the tolerances are becoming better. The technology is becoming better. The mating between tire and, and rim is becoming more reliable. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why a lot of these teams are maybe feeling more comfortable about making the leap to tubeless this year. Uh, that's, that's my conjecture. I don't know that that's exactly why, but I think when you look at the holistic picture of what's happening in tubeless technology between the rims and the tires and sort of everything coming in house, uh, for a lot of brands who are making tires and rims together, uh, to work with each other, it just becomes, uh, something you can't ignore as a team, right? You can't ignore the advantage anymore as a team. Uh, the, the, the benefits essentially outweigh the risks is what I'm saying. That's my long way of saying. Yeah, that. well, no, no, certainly, and I think the, um, you know, I think that puncture thing is is really kind of key. Like, I mean, obviously, Moscon was riding tubeless and did get a puncture, and then was on another bike that had too high pressure, and that basically ruined his race. Um, you know, much to the to the applause of lots of people that aren't right. Moscon fans. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, we've yeah we've got uh, we've got a separate conversation about that. Game. But the um, but nonetheless. Um, yeah, I think the fact is, I'd say the majority of the time, probably you're going to have more puncture protection from tubeless. And if that means someone can keep rolling and only lose five PSI, you know, that could be the difference between a Grand Tour win and, you know, being on the podium. So I think I think that's a, a huge, huge advantage. And, yeah, all those incremental disadvantages, effectively protection against punctures at the World Tour is, is incredible. And then, you know, I think we all know, you know you've ridden tubeless, they are really nice to roll on. But I think tubular tires also do have a wonderful quality to them, and definitely like the likes of the FMBs and those silk-walled, um, you know, classics tires were are uniquely luxurious to ride on. They feel like being in a in a Rolls Royce or something. But the question is, do they deliver the performance that pros increasingly need? And the practicality, you know, it's it's expensive. You're going to have to you know have them restitched if you get a flat tire. It's not a simple. You know, it, and it's exp- it's expensive to buy, expensive to repair, expensive to fit. It takes two days of mechanics time, and I don't know whether that stuff's factoring in, but you know, it is a pain. You know, it's hugely annoying to deal with tubeless tires, For tubular sure. tires. And I I wonder too, and I'm going to make a prediction here, uh, and I'm going to be either really right or really wrong. I'm going to have a lot of angry comments on Twitter. I think when I say this, but I think as as technology improves over the next couple of years, uh, 
I wonder if we will start to see tire inserts at races like Roubaix so that you can run them flat for 10 kilometers if you wanted to. Um, they would have to get significantly lighter. I know this. Uh, but I wonder, just as an insurance policy, if, if in the near future we will see somebody ride a tire insert, like a cush core or something, inside their tubeless tire. I'm going to let the, uh, the Twitterati come at me. <laughs> but that's my prediction. I think within the next few years. <laughs> Dan is not drinking heavily right now. This is, he said just, this in sober. Just, um, just coffee. Sound I'm just drinking coffee. <laughs> He's predicted. I, I, I'm, He's predicted solid, solid tires. <laughs> yes, I'm, uh, I'm going with it. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for your, your, uh, your fire, Twitter. Come at me. Uh, <laughs> we've seen crazier things happen, you know? Yeah, and these, these foam inserts, they weigh, what, like seven or eight grams or something tiny. They're like absolutely minuscule weight addition. And yeah, I don't know. Is there a difference to the quality of the, of the, of the rolling resistance, the suppleness of the tire? I don't know. I've never tried it. I never actually had one, so... Have you have you ridden them with an insert like that? I've used them on gravel gravel bikes. I've used them on mountain bikes. I've used them extensively on both of those, and they're wonderful. They actually improve the ride quality. Uh, I have never used one on a road bike. Uh, I don't know that they're quite ready for that, but uh, I'd be interested to see. I mean, I, we've been surprised by technology before. We've seen we've been surprised by evolutions like this before, and things that sounded crazy five years ago are now common in the peloton. Uh, disc brakes is the perfect example. I, I, th- I agree with you, really. And I think you, know, you look at you look at the practicality of cycling, and I think disc rim brakes were definitely one thing that was awful. And the other thing that's awful is the frequency of flat tires. Like it sucks. My car never has a flat tire. I, I'm awful at maintaining it, and it never it gets low. Pump up. No, it's just like they, cars never really get flats that touch wood that commonly. And bikes, you can have five flats in a single ride, and you cannot even get home. So. If there's a solution, and if that comes about through the Pro Peloton, I'd probably applaud it if it makes the holistic experience of cycling better and gets rid of this hugely annoying part of cycling, which is repairing flat tyres when you've got somewhere to be and you're trying to enjoy the ride. So, yeah, I, I could buy it. I mean, yeah, and if it's, you know, pretty much, if you see it on a mountain bike, it's going to be on a road bike in a few years without exception. You know, that, yeah. that goes across the board. <laughs> Any part of a mountain bike will be riding yeah. flat bars with rear suspension and, you know, yeah, three right. 3.5 inch tires. <laughs> That'll be the Roubaix bike of 2027. <laughs> oh boy, God help us, God help us. <laughs> well, that's a great, that's a great way to wrap it up with, uh, with you folks on Twitter coming at me with uh, your feedback on my prediction. So you can get at me at Brown Tie Dan on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can get at Peter Stewart. Uh, what's what's your handle on the social medias? Peter Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, three, digit three. And that's me on every social media for some random reason. And of course, you can always reach out to Ruler Magazine as well, uh, at Ruler Magazine on the social media channels. Uh, we would love to hear from you about uh, tubeless tires, about my prediction of ridiculous, my ridiculous, absolutely crazy prediction about inserts in tires. Uh, and of course, if you have suggestions for topics you'd like us to cover on the Ruler Tech Podcast, we would absolutely love to hear that too. I am always a big fan of other people doing my work for me. Uh, so please do reach out. Uh, Peter, thanks for joining me. And I'm glad you got to experience the joy and wonder of Roubaix you are a very lucky man no doubt certainly I enjoyed it and um, yeah thanks everyone for tuning into our podcast and looking at our content digitally we appreciate it so keep it up thank you very much absolutely and uh, uh, for those of you listening thanks for listening we will catch you on the next episode of the Ruler Tech Podcast
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.